welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, Team Austen. And I am your host, Lauren Burke, Team Bronte. And today on the show, we are back to celebrating Emily Bronte's bicentenary. And um, I've been really, really excited for this episode, actually, for two reasons. Um, One is that we finally get to play that awesome audio montage of all of your favorite Emily lines. And two, um, I got to interview Celine and Serena from the sisters room again. And they are two of my favorite people. We do love the sisters room. Yeah, those guys are great. Now, Lauren, I have a story that I know is going to upset and shock you. Well, I'm glad that we've turned the video off of our video conferencing then. (laughs) So um, I wanted to get like a physical copy of Emily's complete poems so that I could write notes in the margins. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been reading them this year like online. And I went into the shop um, and (laughs) the woman at the till was like, oh Emily Bronze she didn't write very much and I was just kind of stood there looking at her and I was like well she wrote that book of poetry in your hands and she was like well she didn't write a lot of poetry I was like that book is 300 pages long <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand what your point is at all I was just kind of stood there and I was like well it's a, that's a pretty big book and she went well she only wrote Wuthering Heights and I was like no you're right she only wrote one real thing excellent thank you right. for your service and then I like walked out of there like so sassy yeah it was so funny you totally should have told her that she died at 29 of tuberculosis I don't know how old Emily was when she died (laughs) well now you know now I know 29 that's old enough she could have written more than yeah she should have written more a complete poetry book I don't know I was so annoyed I was like what 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 does she have to do (laughs) she didn't write very much that is like 300 more poems than I've written, to be honest. Yeah. 297 Um, more than me. Oh, come on now. I know you've got some secret manuscripts out there. Secret ones. Yeah. Just like uh, Charlotte Bronte, when I'm over at your house in December, I'm going to go rummaging through your drawers looking for them. Tiny books. I'm going to say like, come on. Come on, Hannah. Let's publish this poetry that I, I found only, in your, your I can underwear write drawer. Poetry when I'm um, unlucky in love. That's the only time I can do it. So mm. no wow. poetry from me. Not not right now. No not poetry right from Hannah. No. I'll have to dip back into the juvenilia. <laughs> the Harry Potter <laughs> fan fiction. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So yeah, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about Emily's poetry later on today. But first up, um, let's go ahead and crack into this interview. Well, um, personally, uh, I fell in love with Emily because every time you read her poems or every time you read Wuthering Guides, the, the words she uses, the strength of the words she uses make, make the... Um, the characters and the places stand out of the page. Mm-hmm. So you can actually see, you can feel, it's not just reading, words disappear, you, you have an image. She, mm-hmm. it, she's like a painter. And uh, that is the reason why we decided to go to, to the parsonage, to Haworth in the mm-hmm. first place, because she really gives you uh, a very vivid image of what she's talking about, of what she's writing about. and. You can't, I mean, it's impossible not to fall in love with her. Or at least this is 
what what I feel every time I read something written by her. Is um is there like a particular line or poem or something that you guys go back to or that you really love? Uh yeah. Um I would like to um share with you some of my favorite uh, verses uh, mm-hmm. by Emily. Um because yes, yeah, she she is a painter. Um I mean, she actually builds images, but you know, it's it's almost like Whenever I read um, her words, um, mostly in her poems, I can feel, um, you know, freedom. Like she's always talking about the wind and she's wild and, uh, and everything is wide and open and you can't control that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like you, you can feel power and, and freedom in those words. And for me, uh, for example, there is uh, this poem which is called Stars. And these are my favorite. Um, yeah, it, it's not the whole poem actually, mm-hmm. but these are my favorite verses. It's, and they go like, Oh, stars and dreams and gentle night, oh, night and stars return, and hide me from the hostile light that does not warm but burn. And this is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, it, it's about darkness also, in a way, but it's strictly connected to the nature because she's talking mm-hmm. about, you know, stars and the daylight. And, and I, I think this is huge. And, and she touches your, you know, your heart somehow. Mm-hmm. She, she's talking about something that you can't grasp, but you can feel. Mm-hmm. Would you get that tattooed on your arm? Yeah, I, I am actually uh, like terrified by tattoos because <laughs> I'm against against pain, basically. Sure, sure. <laughs> but yeah, I I could write it with you know with with a pen on my arm. <laughs> no, my one of my favorite poems is um, "A Little While, A Little While." And uh, that is one of my favorites because it's about um, every time I read it, I see the parsonage. Every time I um, I hear those lines, it, they make me feel of they make me think of Emily. So mm-hmm. I think there is much of Emily and Emily's life, Emily's attitude, uh, nature. So um, that is definitely one of my favorite. And I think that we don't have much about Emily talking about I'm talking about biographical documents or but I think that uh, reading her poems can t- tell us can can tell us more than any page or any books uh, um, written by researchers because it's, everything is all there mm-hmm. you just need to know where to look where to look for her mm-hmm. and where to find her and uh, even if it would be nice to to find something more written about by Emily or to find some more documents about her life. I think that what, what makes her fascinating is also the mystery that surrounds yeah. you know? And the yeah. fact that you can see whatever you want, really. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not black or white. It's, she has, she's, she's very, she's colorful. She's full mm-hmm. of different um of different 
not faces, but you know, she's many colors. She's right. She's everything. It's like, it's just, I find this really impressive too, because I feel like the language that Emily uses in Wuthering Heights and sometimes in her poetry is just, it's difficult for native English speakers. And we debate like the meaning or what she's talking about. And then here, you know, you guys, English is your second language. And um, is there anything that you guys find difficult or especially challenging, like with the language that she uses? Uh, yeah, um, we struggled a lot uh, with, uh, particularly with with Joseph in, <laughs> in Wooding Heights, for sure. example. Yeah, everyone does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's not just it was not, not just, just you, <laughs> because you know in Italian we are used to very long words you know, with a lot of letters mm-hmm. and, and everything is quite clear. And in English, it's, if, if, you, if you change, I don't know, just for example, a vowel yeah. or, you know, it, the meaning can change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so you, you can read the sentence in, uh, you know, both ways. It can mm-hmm. have many, many, many meanings. And, and Joseph with his, uh, you know, dialect and uh, wild expressions and yeah. the word the words are are always contracted uh, yeah it's like letter apostrophe letter letter apostrophe yeah yeah <laughs> what is this <laughs> so that's that's difficult for us absolutely it was more interpreting rather than understanding properly i mean it was right more, yeah. yeah so yeah that was very difficult for yeah. us to understand. Sometimes something that um, I like to do, but I am not sure that I am doing it right, is try and read his uh, sentences, you know, out loud. Yeah. Like chewing uh, something. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it, so, so, you know, I can understand if it makes sense, you know, just as, as a sound. sound. Yeah. Right, right, right. That's a great tip, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) it's helpful for me. (laughs) Yeah, I should try it next time, honestly. (laughs) Now, um, I'm sure you guys have reviewed and read a ton of like translations of Wuthering Heights. So, um, you know, is there one that you would recommend or that you think there's like a good, you know, example of translation out there for, you know, for Joseph, for anything in Wuthering Heights, honestly, I feel like the story could even get really easily muddled with a translation because it's such a difficult story. But is there one that you you recommend? Well, no, I mean, um, we read lots of translations, but some of them were really good, but um, more than uh, um, good translations, because maybe you just, yeah, you know that it's a good translation because you can understand everything properly or mm-hmm. because you, you, you think that that is the right way of translating it. But it's, it's very much uh, a matter of points of view, except okay. for things, some little things. We found some little things that were not so good translations. So mm-hmm. I think it's more easier to find a bad translation than a good sure. one. Sure. What, yeah. what like happens in a bad translation or what do they kind of get wrong in a bad translation? Um, for example, um, and, but also there, I mean, um, one thing that we don't like in uh, Italian translations of Wuthering Guys yeah. is the fact that, especially 
in translation, all translations from the uh, 20th century, they tended to translate the names. So we have oh. instead of Catherine or um, Giuseppe. Uh, Giuseppe instead of Joseph. And this is something that we don't like at all. And then we found also very nice ways of translating, for example, but this is a good thing that comes to, to my mind. Um, for example, there is a part in Wuthering Heights where, um, I can't remember who's the character, I think it's Heathcliff, yes, that he says to Hindley, the, no, the not Hindley, the books, to Hareton, yes, to Hareton, uh, he says, um, he says something about uh, book learning, and um, book learning is written with, is written L-A-R-N-I-N-G, with mm. A, so the second letter is A. Yeah, it's okay. mis misspelled. It's misspelled, yes, mm -hmm. and it's because it's trying to um, use the dialect. Right, okay. He's making fun of Hyreton's dialect. Mm -hmm. And in Italy, when they translate that part, it's hard because you cannot. I mean, it's it's hard to um, to give you an idea of the of the dialect. So right. when they, they translate it, they change the um, the dialect mistake with a grammar mistake. Okay. So with a very basic grammar mistake, just to give the idea of a person that is not well cultured. Yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. So, and this is um, and, and that is an interesting translation. Uh, in some books, is better than others. But the idea, we really like the idea. And then, uh, which book is better? I mean, it's just a matter of points yeah. of view or right. how you see translations. And yeah, yeah, there are some very clever solutions to these yeah, kind of problems clever. because you know. Mm -hmm. You can't translate the Yorkshire dialect, for example, with some expressions from, I don't know, Italian dialects, like, for example, I don't know, for, from Sicily, or mm -hmm. it would be uh, meaningless. And it, 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 I, know, I don't know, it, it doesn't make sense. So mm -hmm. you can change and make the reader understand that there is something there and they are talking about he is making fun of him because he is not that um, Harriton couldn't read very well and mm -hmm. he, you know, he didn't have a culture. So mm -hmm. maybe he can speak, uh, uh, you know, on a, on a, uh, he can lower his level mm -hmm. and make grammar mistakes to, mm -hmm. you know, to achieve that, that um, goal. And also another uh, fun and interesting thing is that in some Italian books, uh, the house, uh, it's called um, in a different way. For example, uh, Italian readers are used to Cime Tempestose. Cime Tempestose is Wuthering Heights. Okay. So, yes, because Cime, it's, it's hills, uh, something that, you know, it's a little mountain, something like that. Mm -hmm. And tempestoso means wuthering, stormy. Okay. Like yeah. Uh, in some editions, mostly the, the 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 most recent ones, actually, you can find wuthering heights in it. But the title of the book is always Cime tempestose. Oh. Yeah. And in all translations, you can find la tempestosa, which means like, for example, the stormy. 
Okay. House. Right. <laughs> so not not consistent across <laughs> no, translations. Like, yeah. And then you go reading and I Wuthering Heights is a house in the so what's Wuthering Guides and what's Timenfistos? <laughs> Sometimes that happens. Yeah, no, and also for, for the book, we translated some parts of Wuthering Guides ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was oh, really interesting and fascinating and... Uh, and difficult. <laughs> and difficult. Say, like, yeah, which parts did you pick? Uh, for example... Um, which translate? Translate? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, she'll get it. But oh, yeah. my experience translating Wuthering Guides makes me feel as if I don't have the rights to judge a translation. Sure. It's very difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. So that's why that's why I was talking about points of views, you no? Know? Right. Looking for the the most clever way of translating, but it's really hard. And except for things like the names, that what, what why should you translate names? Mm-hmm. Even if it was something that we used to do a lot in the past, especially because names like Itcliff are really hard to pronounce for us or to read. Mm-hmm. So they tend to, well you can't translate Itcliff really, so Itcliff is always Itcliff, but it's not easy for Italian readers to read or to get used, or especially in the past, it was not so common um, finding English words in books okay. and yeah. translations. Okay. But now people are more comfortable with it. And I would yeah. guess too, because like so many people know English because of, I, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it is like the language of the internet. Yeah, exactly. So young children, you know, younger people do know English and they are more comfortable with it. Yeah. Also electronical devices. So yeah, we're getting used to English a little bit more. Okay, we, we found a book. And um, yeah, we translated the, the very first um, paragraph of the novel with the description mm-hmm. of the house. And that was, uh, in a way... Uh, also um, exciting, but you know we were like um, I don't know how to explain this. We were like, oh my god, we are using, we are translating Emily's words mm-hmm. in our language, and this is huge because we've always, you know, we 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 we've read a lot about this, and uh, every time. You know, we, we talk to each other and we say, uh, I don't know, did you like that translation or what, what would you do here? I don't know, something like that. And there we were with the text and uh, and those words and, and, and we had to make choices. Right. So, so powerful. <laughs> we read it and reread it like, I don't yeah. know, forever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we were like, what would Emily think of us in this <laughs> Yeah, are we sure we want to publish this? Let's destroy it. But <laughs> it's so difficult. I love what you're saying about points of view, too, because it's really a lot of the translator, like their opinion of the book, too. It's like, do they view this? I mean, yeah, as a romance, do they view this as, you know, a cautionary tale or like a family drama like how you know how does the translator view the work overall and then you get down to the details like the language which is just so difficult yeah Yeah. luckily we didn't have to to translate uh 
Major Joseph's uh, <laughs> speeches. Right. <laughs> We've been very careful, um, you know, to exclude those parts. Sure. <laughs> to take them off. Yeah. <laughs> um, now... Will you guys give me um, an idea of what the... Well, actually, can you actually just describe to me some of the chapters in the book? Because the book sounds so good. I want the book to be in English, but oh, sure. fingers crossed. But what are, what are the stuff that you like? What um, stuff do you yeah. cover? The book uh, is... Well, it's a very short one. It's mm-hmm. 130 pages, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but it goes like this. At the beginning, there is this um, generic whole chapter about uh you know uh, history and geography and uh, and uh, a bit of context uh of the brontes or as a family mm-hmm. and uh, and then we point to emily mm-hmm. um but you know to explain uh, who she was because we don't know who's gonna read the book and uh, and if it's someone that it's not a bronte enthusiast um he may be want i mean he may need some more um, details. Yeah, right. this is where we also added the plot of Wuthering Heights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just in case, you know, people hadn't read it uh, previously. Or uh, has read it and didn't understand. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I know I had to read it, I think, two, two or three <laughs> times, honestly. Yeah. Then we describe it uh, a bit of the places like... Uh, going from Yorkshire to Haworth and the Bronte Parsonage Museum, mm-hmm. just to, you know, again, put her in a context. Yeah. And then we, then we wrote the, the, the plot of Wuthering Heights and tried to explain how complex this masterpiece is. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, because we imagine that mm, maybe our readers uh, didn't read Wuthering Heights. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we, we we talked about the places that you can find in the novel, so mm-hmm. the, the the two houses, and we wondered uh, there were any places that actually were there and which inspired her. Mm-hmm. So we explained about Pondon Hall and Top Weedens and the Moors and how everything is real but not real at the same time because mm-hmm. she misses and uh, you know she. Uh, changes places and changes names, but mm-hmm. everything is real somehow. Yeah. But you don't always have that the certainty that yeah. that yeah. place is Wuthering Heights and that place is Trashcross Grange. I mean, she she just calls she she calls ideas from here and there, and she mm-hmm. put them together to create something that is unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we went out on the moors so uh, we talk about uh Pondenkirk here and um yeah basically the moors and then uh we close everything uh with the articles from our blog with our mm-hmm. personal experiences in those very places mm-hmm. and again you can find the parsonage in it and uh, top widens pondenol the moors and everything so at first you have them historically and geographically explained then you can see them in the novel then you can see them in reality today mm-hmm. and finally through our eyes and our experiences mm-hmm. something like that that's great i love um i love that it's very personal and i love that it's like a travel log as well yeah yeah 
<laughs> That's awesome. What is um just out of curiosity, like what is your favorite place like out on the moors or is someone you know more partial to Ponton Hall or well, personally, I, I really like top weddings. Mm-hmm. There is something, it's very, the atmosphere, um, the wind, um, everything is, is so relaxing, peaceful over there. But at the same time, everything is moving. Mm-hmm. The grass is moving, uh, the clouds are moving. So I think it says a lot about Emily, that place. I, I, it's not hard for me to imagine that. Uh, that must have been one of our favorite places because it's quiet, but deep inside, if you pay attention to the details, it's not so quiet at, at all. It's, mm-hmm. On the contrary, it's wuthering, we can say. Yes. Yeah. Hands down, top widens. Absolutely. It's gorgeous out there. Yeah. yeah. Also because maybe it was the very first Bronte place maybe. ever yes. that we visited. Maybe. And okay. It was amazing. We couldn't say a word. Yeah. Uh, we were speechless. Uh, I remember that we brought our copy of Wuthering Heights and yeah. we, we read that instead because it, there were no words. We were like, oh my goodness. Maybe the, the, the first thing that you want to do is call for Heathcliff like a crazy woman <laughs> on the horse, but we didn't. So now this episode, of course, focuses on Emily's language and her best lines and the lines that like really, you know, resonate with us as readers. So um, your readers for the Sisters Room blog, what did they, you know, what lines resonated with them? Um, Two of our readers um, sent us uh, two of their their favorite poems by Mm -hmm. Emily. And they chose, um, Giuliana Benedetto chose, um, uh, uh, um, I'm happiest when most away. Uh, do you want me to read this in Italian first? Yeah, yeah, I want to hear it in Italian, actually. <laughs> if you're curious to know how... I'm very curious. Okay, it goes like this. Più felice sono quanto più lontana porto la mia anima dalla sua dimora d'argilla. In una notte di vento, quando la luna brilla e l'occhio vaga attraverso mondi di luce. And, okay, in English it goes like, um, when I am, um, I'm happiest when most away I can bear my soul from its home of clay. On a windy night, when the moon is bright and the eye can wander through words of light. And Barbara Buttiglione instead chose um, No Covert Soul is Mine. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And she chose the very first two verses. Uh, mm-hmm. Non è vile la mia anima, non trema nella tempestosa sfera del mondo. This is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It yeah. is. It sounds beautiful in Italian. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Do you feel like in Italian it, it captures... Emily's words. It, that, I know that's a hard question. Actually, no, it's not hard. I mean, um, I appreciate these translations because um, translating Wuthering Heights, it's difficult, but translating Ham- Emily's poems, it's something I think almost impossible okay. because of the rhythm and, uh, and yeah, yeah the, the power of the words she uses. And everything changes when languages are so dif- different. Italians got this 
very long words and uh, this quiet and 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 you know and uh, almost um, static rhythm because mm -hmm. you know you, there are syllables and you go pa 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 everything is calm mm -hmm. and the words are long and there, there is no rush in the rhythm you know mm -hmm. but emily's poem poems are strong and immediate yeah in yeah. you know and sometimes the the words are short and 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 you are right there you, you know with the rhythm it's like it's it's like the wind you can you can't yeah. grasp it it's it's already gone mm -hmm. and and so of course if the translation is the only solution to understand a, te a text that's good but uh for me nothing compares and i think Selene thinks oh, yeah, the same thing and nothing compares to the original text as as for the poems yes absolutely and also we don't have many italian translations of emily's poems okay at all yeah she's not very i mean here in italy of course we know Wuthering heights and people read Wuthering heights but as for the poems i don't think many people um have ever read her poems is there something is there like a myth about emily or is there a story about emily that sort of like you hang on to or that you particularly love a story well no for, but there is i mean yeah uh for example i'm i'm i think also i think it's the same for serena but i would really know i would really like to know if she has ever been loved oh yeah no sorry because um I think it's hard to talk about love without um, having ever had the chance of feeling it. And uh, so I'm, I'm always curious whenever, uh, every time I read about uh, researchers, researchers who studied from the poems just to try and find out um, any possible connection of Emily to another person or I think this is all very fascinating even if we don't have um, proofs of that but mm -hmm. I think it's, it's very likely that she might have been in love and yeah maybe this yes um, also something that always make makes me feel uh, always makes me wonder it's um, when she was ill and she knew it, she was ill and she refused the you know the doctor until mm -hmm. the end and this is something that i i always wonder was it because she was fearless mm -hmm. or because she didn't get that that was really a problem or because she wanted to die what happened what happened there what right. what was yeah what was she thinking what was she feeling because that was something huge huge but she 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 I mean, Branwell was uh, just dead and everything was changing in the family. And uh, the novel was out, but, you know, at the beginning, it was not that very claimed by, you know, the critics and everything. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I ask myself and I, I, I would love to know more about this. And, and I wonder, uh, who, who was she? And yeah, and to, to get back to your question, I think... For me, the, the thing that uh, makes, her, makes her so fascinating is that she's kind of have a dark side. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, I think that darkness is extremely um, yes fascinating maybe it's the word because you know everyone has got um, bad things inside him and uh, you know and you can be mean you can be cruel and um, sometimes you can be very a bad people mm-hmm. a bad person I'm sorry but um, she puts everything out she's not ashamed and she's honest she says yeah we can be mean and we can be dark creatures and she's got darkness inside but that darkness is always um struggling struggling you know with something that it's instead uh glorious huge made of light and we are back I've got to say, like, I really agree with kind of everything um, that Celine and Serena were saying about, like, reading this poetry out loud. Mm-hmm. The number of times that, and not just the poetry, I guess, but probably Wuthering Heights as well, which we all know I haven't read yet, but, right. you know, I'm sure Someday. it'll be the case. There is something about reading aloud, especially poetry, that like really helps I was reading it on the train and I was just like muttering it to myself under the breath a lot uh, under my breath which just I know for everyone around you is like a weird thing to do but reading to the punctuation and not to the end of the line like all of those little tricks that you can do to kind of like help understand what the poetry is about like I think reading aloud is just as important as as, as any of those things to get kind of like a feel for it Yeah, I actually, I couldn't agree more because um, it's funny. We asked all of our listeners to, you know, send in audio clips of like their favorite Emily lines, either from Wuthering Heights or from the poetry. And like some of the poems that they sent in were not my favorites or just like some that I've just sort of glanced over before. But but really, yeah, like listening to it, I was like, oh, now I'm interested. It's funny as well, because I was reading, not all the time, but there were a couple of times when I was home alone and I was like, can I read this in the Yorkshire accent? And um, is that going to like make a difference in the experience for me? And there were a couple mm-hmm. where I was like, yeah, I wish I had uh, I had someone with the Yorkshire accent to just come and read this because I bet this would be like powerful. Because that's yeah. the thing, like when um, you read it and there's this temptation to read everything, especially poetry in like received pronunciation or like this very kind of proper voice. But Mm -hmm. Emily didn't speak like that, right? She would have had this amazing accent and the words and all of the things that she she was putting down on the paper would have been with that voice, with her voice. And so being able to experience it with someone reading it in like her accent and maybe like her rhythm would just be magic, I think. I think that also um, sort of lends to her fearlessness and sort of like what's intriguing about her poetry, too, because she is just like she's writing it for herself, first of all, and um, she's writing it in her own voice. And um, yeah, I wish I had someone like on loan that had a Yorkshire accent that could just read this to me all day. The other thing in the interview that I thought was interesting was just like all the talk of um, translation. Mm-hmm. because I think I'm I don't even know if you could say like I don't think it's that I'm lucky I I am like very much catered for in in right. terms of literature and being exposed to literature that is written in English as its first language I have not and do not read many translations at all and so it isn't something 
that I have much like well I've never read something in one language and then read it in another because I don't yeah. read in any other languages and so I think hearing that like how frustrating that is when you can read both and like seeing mm -hmm. what the differences are and kind of not quite believing that there's a good translation out there and then kind of going ahead and trying to do that yourself I just think is like the most magical thing and um, we had a talk at uni when I was doing my master's from a translator who was saying it's very easy for people to think that translators just come in and they're putting everything exactly from you know from one language into word another but actually right. you can't translate word for word and you're a writer and so when Celine and Serena are translating Emily's stuff they're writing with Emily so right. it's like Emily's in the room and they're in the room and then the three of them are writing something new. It isn't a translation of Emily's poetry. It's like a new thing. Right. Absolutely. And it's it's funny. Yeah, they brought up point of view and they were talking about, you know, their point of view of Wuthering Heights and how much they love the story and how much they've, you know, traveled to Haworth and the Parsonage and like and the Moors. And they just they put that feeling into it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, it was like fantastic to tackle that with them. Those guys are, those guys are the best, and I hope they actually translate their Italian book into English. Yeah, that would be so good. Like a book about some, you know, an English language writer in Italian, and then translated back into English. Right, just the full circle. So now I am really excited for this next bit. This is when we play our little montage of some of Emily's best lines as picked by you guys, our listeners. Often rebuked, yet always back returning to those first feelings that were born with me and leaving the busy chase of wealth and learning for idle dreams of things which cannot be. Today, I will seek not the shadowy region. Its unsustaining vastness waxes drear, and visions rising legion after legion bring the unreal world too strangely near. I'll walk, but not in old heroic traces, and not in paths of high morality, and not among the half-distinguished faces, the clouded forms of long-past history. I'll walk where my own nature would be leading. It vexes me to choose another guide, where the grey flocks in ferny glens are feeding, where the wild wind blows from the mountainside. What have those lonely mountains worth revealing? More glory and more grief than I can tell. The earth that wakes, one human heart to feeling, can centre both the worlds of heaven and hell. I've dreamt in my life dreams that have stayed with me ever after and changed my ideas. They've gone through and through me, like wine through water, and altered the color of my mind. There should be no despair for you while nightly stars are burning, while evening pours its silent dew and sunshine gilds the morning. There should be no despair, though tears may flow down like a river. Are not the best beloved of yours around your heart forever? From Sympathy by Emily Bronte. To a wreath of snow. O transient voyager of heaven, O silent sign of winter skies, What adverse wind thy sail has driven To dungeons where a prisoner lies? 
Methinks the hands that shut the sun so sternly from this morning brow might still their rebel task have done and checked a thing so frail as thou. They would have done it had they known the talisman that dwelt in thee, for all the suns that ever shone have never been so kind to me. For many a week and many a day my heart was weighed with sinking gloom when morning rose in morning grey and faintly lit my prison room. But angel-like, when I awoke, thy silvery form so soft and fair, shining through darkness, sweetly spoke of cloudy skies and mountains bare. The dearest to a mountaineer who all life long has loved the snow that crowned her native summits drear better than greenest plains below and voiceless soulless messenger they presence waked a thrilling tone that comforts me while thou art here and will sustain when thou art gone. I'm reading here from chapter 9 of Wuthering Heights. My great miseries in this world have been Heathcliff's miseries, and I watched and felt each from the beginning. My great thought in living is himself. If all else perished and he remained, I should still continue to be. And if all else remained and he were annihilated, the universe would turn to a mighty stranger. I should not seem a part of it. My love for Linton is like the foliage in the woods. Time will change it, I'm well aware as winter changes the trees. My love for Heathcliff resembles the eternal rocks beneath, a source of little visible delight, but necessary. Nellie, I am Heathcliff. He's always, always in my mind. Not as a pleasure, any more than I am always a pleasure to myself, but as my own being. So don't talk of our separation again. It is impracticable. Stars by Emily Bronte Ah, why, because the dazzling sun restored our earth to joy, have you departed, every one, and left a desert sky? All through the night your glorious eyes were gazing down in mine, and with a full heart's thankful sighs I blessed that watch divine. I was at peace and drank your beams as they were life to me, and reveled in my changeful dreams like petrol on the sea. Thought followed thought, star followed star, through boundless regions on, while one sweet influence near and far thrilled through and proved us one. Why did the morning dawn to break so great, so pure a spell, and scorch with fire the tranquil cheek where your cool radiance fell? Blood red he rose, and arrow straight his fierce beam struck my brow. The soul of nature sprang elate, but mine sink sad and low. My lids closed down, yet through their veil I saw him blazing still, and steep and gold the misty dale and flash upon the hill. I turned me to the pillow then to call back night and sea. Your words of solemn light again throb with my heart and me. It would not do, the pillow glowed and glowed both roof and floor, and birds sang loudly in the wood and fresh winds shook the door. The curtains waved, the wakened flies were murmuring around my room, imprisoned there till I should rise and give them leave to roam. O oh, stars and dreams and gentle night, O oh, night and stars return, and hide from me the hostile light that does not warm but burn. 
that drains the blood of suffering men, drinks tears instead of dew. Let me sleep through his blinding rain and only wake with you. Weathering Heights is the name of Mr. Heathcliff's dwelling. Weathering being a significant provincial adjective descriptive of the atmospheric tumult to which its station is exposed in stormy weather. Pure, bracing ventilation they must have up there at all times. Indeed, one may guess the power of the north wind blowing over the edge by the excessive slant of a few stunted firs at the edge of the house and by a range of gaunt thorns all stretching their limbs one way as if craving alms of the sun. Happily, the architect had foresight to build it strong. The narrow windows are deeply set in the wall and the corners defended with large jutting stones. We crowded round, and over Miss Cathy's head I had a peep at a dirty, ragged, black-haired child, big enough both to walk and talk. Indeed, its face looked older than Catherine's, yet when it was set on its feet, it only stared round and repeated over and over again some gibberish that nobody could understand. I was frightened, and Mrs. Earnshaw was ready to fling it out of doors. She did fly up, asking how he could fashion to bring that gypsy brat into the house, when they had their own bairns to feed and fend for, what he meant to do with it, and whether he was mad. The master tried to explain the matter, but he was really half dead with fatigue, and all that I could make out, amongst her scolding, was a tale of his seeing it starving and houseless and as good as dumb in the streets of Liverpool where he picked it up and inquired for its owner. Not a soul knew to whom it belonged, he said, and his money and time being both limited, he thought it better to take it home with him at once, than run into vain expenses there, because he was determined he would not leave it as he found it. Well, the conclusion was that my mistress grumbled herself calm, and Mr. Earnshaw told me to wash it and give it clean things and let it sleep with the children. This is Judith Pascoe reading my favorite line from Wuthering Heights. It's spoken by Heathcliff toward the end of the novel. The entire world is a dreadful collection of memoranda that she did exist and that I have lost her. The night is darkening round me, the wild winds coldly blow, but a tyrant spell has bound me, and I cannot, cannot go. The giant trees are bending, their bare boughs weighed in snow. The storm is fast descending, and yet I cannot go. Clouds beyond clouds above me, waste beyond waste below, but nothing drear can move me. I will not, cannot go. Remembrance by Emily Bronte Cold in the earth and the deep snow piled above thee, Far, far removed cold in the dreary grave, Have I forgot my only love to love thee, Severed at last by time's all-severing wave? Now when alone do my thoughts no longer hover Over the mountains on that northern shore, Resting their wings where heath and fern leaves cover Thy noble heart forever, evermore. Cold in the earth and fifteen wild Decembers, 
from those brown hills have melted into spring. Faithful indeed is the spirit that remembers after such years of change and suffering. Sweet love of youth, forgive if I forget thee, while the world's tide is bearing me along. Other desires and other hopes beset me, hopes which obscure but cannot do thee wrong. No later light has lightened up my heaven, no second morn has ever shone for me. All my life's bliss from thy dear life was given. All my life's bliss is in the grave with thee. When the days of golden dreams had perished, and even despair was powerless to destroy, then did I learn how existence could be cherished, strengthened and fed without the aid of joy. Then did I check the tears of useless passion, wean my young soul from yearning after thine, sternly denied its burning wish to hasten down to that tomb already more than mine. And even yet, I dare not let it languish, dare not indulge in memory's rapturous pain. Once drinking deep of that divinest anguish, how could I seek the empty world again? Heaven did not seem to be my home, and I broke my heart with weeping to come back to earth. And the angels were so angry that they flung me out into the middle of the heath on the top of Wuthering Heights, where I woke, sobbing for joy. There should be no despair for you while nightly stars are burning, while evening pours its silent dew and sunshine gilds the morning. There should be no despair, though tears may flow down like a river. Are not the best beloved of years around your heart forever? They weep, you weep, it must be so. Winds sigh as you are sighing, and winter sheds his grief in snow where autumn's leaves are lying. Yet these revive, and from their fate, your fate cannot be parted. Then journey on, if not elate, still never brokenhearted. So now I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who sent in a recording. And that would be Andrea, Andrew, Mary, Laura, Judith, Neve, Emrit, Kaylee, Ellen, Miranda, Hazel, Elizabeth, and Kimberly. You guys are the best. And um, a few of you have a better podcast voice than I do. So I'm feeling very self-conscious right now. Yeah, if any of you want to replace Lauren, just uh, hit me up. Slide <laughs> into my DMs. Would you like a military coup? Right. That would be Hannah K. I never check my DMs on Twitter. <laughs> Chapman. Rude. I you know, I check them quite a lot. I've got some good story content up there at the moment, so I'm checking those DMs all the time. <laughs> now, um, Hannah, I know you haven't read the big Wuthering Heights yet, but I did um, listen to you- the a radio play. You did listen to the radio play and you have been tackling some of the poetry. So uh, do you have any favorite lines by Emily Bronte that you'd like to share with the class? Yeah, I've got I don't think I understand Emily Bronte's poetry. Fair enough. But so a lot of stuff. I feel like it's a lot about nature. I feel like I've got a lot of contradictory notes. So I'll have like I've drawn like little love hearts next to the ones I like. But then underneath it will say, I don't understand. (laughs) 
yeah, little Hannah was uh, getting confused. Obviously, Rita's been sharing poetry on our Facebook page throughout the year, which has been really, um, like, really lovely to kind of dive in every now and then and have a look at those. But just having the whole book in front of you is like, oh, where'd you start? So mm. just two little bits that I picked out. There's like one stanza from one poem, which goes, Now trust a heart that trusts in you and firmly say the word adieu. Be sure wherever I may roam, my heart is with your heart at home. Aw, that's cute. That's sweet. That's a sweet one that I feel like I don't hear too often. You right, well, you pillow. just wait. My second one's really cheerful <laughs> as well. I don't, I oh. think maybe I like, I need happy poetry or funny poetry because I'm quite a grumpy person anyway. And so mm -hmm. I did say to Lauren before we started recording that, and I know that a lot of you will be upset when I say this, I think I find Emily Bronte's poetry a little oppressive. Mm -hmm. Like I'm She's a little like prone a to melancholy myself. And I think Emily is also a little prone to melancholy. But I just, I feel like me and Emily would like go on the moors and get drunk and we would just be, well, I don't think we'd be getting drunk to be honest. Okay, I'd take that back. But no. <laughs> I think we'd like wind each other up. We'd like go for a walk and by the end of the walk, we'd be like, and another thing I hate. And I know. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, like misery finds company. Anyway, right. so I found this other cheerful one. What use is it to slumber here, though the heart be sad and weary? What use is it to slumber here, though the day rise dark and dreary? For that mist may break when the sun is high, and this soul forget its sorrow, and the rosy ray of the closing day may promise a brighter tomorrow. <laughs> Look at you. It's so cute. <laughs> It is so cute. And my note next to this one says, please see the follow-up song by Daniel Powter when you've had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that song's called. Oh, that's adorable. Is it? And then there was one, well, I'm not going to read it, but there's like, like the song of Julius or something. Um, Song, it's just called Song. It's number 82 in my book and it's called Song. And it's about this like, king julius and there's like all these waving banners and oh it's just so good yeah and there's like there's princes and yeah oh, it's so good i didn't understand that one either really but um yeah but you were into it the bells are tolling sounds good that's all that matters you're into it doesn't i don't know do you need to understand poetry no i don't think you do i don't think you do either i I know this, I mean, this may sound like wildly ignorant, but um, my like favorite, I, I might say maybe my favorite poem by Emily Bronte is No Coward Soul Is Mine. And it's um, one of those I was trying to like remember, especially, you know, in recent times, I've had just nothing but a series of really um, nerve wracking like MRIs. Yeah. And when you're in the MRI machine, you're in there from like one to three hours every time. Yeah. And they put headphones on you and they're like, do you want us to put a Pandora station on? But it, it doesn't matter because it's just you can all you can hear is just the banging of the machine. So it's like you can't hear music anyway. So um, I was actually trying to like memorize some poetry um, just while I was in there, just like an actor going over their lines over and yeah. over again. I was like, what else do I have to do in here? And um no Coward Soul is Mine is one of those that I was trying to memorize. It's a tough one, though. And it actually might be one that I need someone with a Yorkshire accent to just, like, shout out um, at me. 
but just um, the... get Amy Rowbottom to read it for you while um while we're in Howarth. I will, for sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like the opening, like I'm not on board with the entire poem, but the opening line is just such a banger. You know, I'm like, God, do we even need the rest of it? I, you know, I felt like that about so many of them. I was like, mm-hmm. first verse, great. Rest of it, mm, don't care. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah, so I feel that way with No Coward Soul is Mine. I might get that tattooed on my arm. Um, we shall see. But um, I did want to read this one line from Wuthering Heights. We did have a couple in our montage that I also love, but, you know, I don't want to repeat. So um, what I love, I, I think the thing that I love about Wuthering Heights, which is sort of like all in this line, is that it's just sort of, it's it's poetry-esque. It's sort of free-flowing. It's sort of difficult and weird you know it just it's it just it's unusual um prose so um i think that's all sort of you know encapsulated in this line he wanted all to lie in an ecstasy of peace i wanted all to sparkle and dance in a glorious jubilee i said his heaven would only be half alive and he said mine would be drunk i said i should fall asleep in his and he said he could not breathe in mine so I just, I'm like, ah, oh, that's Wuthering Heights. It's just, it's hard to read. It's hard to digest, I feel. It's like yeah. a very rich meal, if that makes sense. Yeah, that is a great line. Um, I want to say a big thank you to everyone who sent in lines um, for this episode. It was sort of like a new experiment for us. And I was wondering like how it would go. And I was really, really pleased with the results. So. Oh, I love it. I've, I was saying to Lauren, like, I think it's one of my favorite things that we've done. Yeah, I love um, sort of turning this into like a big group project because I do think literature is, you know, a shared experience. And I love that we can all sort of like learn and, you know, feed off of each other. So um, we will be doing more, you know, projects like this one. And of course, we will be announcing those on our social media sites. And Hannah, what what are those social media sites? places i sound like my mother uh, you can find us as always on instagram and twitter at bonnets at dawn you can email us bonnets at dawn at gmail.com and you can join us on the facebook group by searching bonnets at dawn answering a couple of quick questions and then joining in the fun <laughs>